How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Good to see each and every one of you here today. It is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. There's no place I would rather be than in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning, giving praise, glory, and honor to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's just bow our hearts. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit, and I pray that as your word comes to us today, you would find our hearts open to receive, our minds ready to believe, and our will ready to comply and obey. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 33, verse 18 and 19 has been, I've been meditating on it this week. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. I'm going to say it one more time because you didn't catch it. You missed it. You didn't realize the scripture's talking about you. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Do you fear him? On those who hope in his mercy. Do you hope in his mercy? To keep them alive in famine. Which means you're going to go through famine. To deliver their soul from death which means your soul's gonna need some deliverance from death and to keep them alive in famine. Which means everyone who fears the Lord, who hopes in his mercy, experiences moments in which your soul needs to be delivered from death and you have to walk through famines through which the Lord will keep you alive. It's a promise, it's really a twofold promise. Number one, you're gonna flirt with death from time to time but he's gonna keep you alive. And number two, you're gonna walk through famine from time to time, but he's gonna keep you alive. Which means that we shouldn't be surprised when we have run-ins with death, and we shouldn't be surprised when we walk through famines. But we tend to be surprised. And we tend to be surprised because we misunderstand the nature of our faith. Because no matter how many times we are taught otherwise, we, and myself included, we knee-jerk back to the supposition that our faith is that which protects us from walking through famine. Our faith is that which prevents us from experiencing death. In other words, we think our faith is a hardship shield that protects us from having to go through hardship. And the sign that that is the case is that we find ourselves turning away in times of hardship. The message that I have for you today, the title of it, is you have one job. And I thought about putting some funny pictures up on the screen of you had one job. If you just put that in Google and search images, There's a bunch of funny images, like there's a guy on a street and the lines are all wiggly. There's one straight line and one wiggly line. You had one job. Or there's a stop sign where stop is spelled S-T-P-O. 
you had one job. There was a sign that said left turn only, and then it was a right turn arrow. You had one job. My daughter has been watching The Simpsons. And so I've been watching The Simpsons. And I realized that The Simpsons is about a guy with a severe case of ADHD, Homer Simpson. He's constantly distracted from whatever it is that's important that he's supposed to be doing. And typically it causes a nuclear meltdown and melts down the plant or something like that. But you have one job is the life story of Homer Simpson. Now, follow me for a second. The story of the Bible can be understood as a series of generations, and in each generation there are individuals who had one job. Jonah's job, I'm sorry, Noah's job was to get us through the flood. He had one job. Abraham's job was to get us to the promised land. He had one job. Isaac's job was just to stay in the promised land. His son Joseph's job was to take him to Egypt. Moses' job was to take him out of Egypt and, keep, and walk with them through the, the, the wilderness. Joshua's job was to bring them into the promised land. And then David's job was to center them in Jerusalem. And then Solomon's job was to build the temple there. And what you see when you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ is from generation to generation to generation to generation, each one had one job. One thing that you were supposed to do the thing that makes the story of the Bible significant is that when you look back at the tapestry of what God did through the generations, every, what, the one job that each individual in each generation had yeah. was on behalf of every generation to come. Yeah, yeah. Meaning that there was a lineage that your job is not just about you. It's not just about what you get from God and what you get, give to God, what you surrender to God and what you receive from God. Yeah. Your job is about the generations that will follow you. Yeah. There's a tapestry that God is weaving throughout human history, and you have one job within that tapestry. And your success or failure in the kingdom of God is determined by your ability to discern that one job and be faithful to that one job. So it said of Moses that he was faithful in his generation. Yeah. What did that mean? He had one job and he did it. Yeah. He was faithful in his generation. Yeah. He had one job and he did it. Yeah. So you go back to Abraham and God says, get up out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. And I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. But as soon as he gets to the promised land, that's his one job, right? Get out of your father's house and go to the promised land. He gets there, and what does he experience when he, as soon as he gets there? A famine. As soon as he gets there, there's a famine, and the first thing he does when he sees the famine is think, we got to get up out of here. Yeah, yeah. No, Abraham, you got one job. You got one job, and your job is to go to the place God told you to go and stay there. But there's a famine there. He'll keep you alive in famine. Yes. But there's death all around me. He'll deliver your soul from death. Yes. 
And Abraham didn't understand his one job. He thought, I obeyed. I went to the place. Thank God I got that out the way. He saw obedience as something episodic and individual. Something that I do in the moment between me and God, it has no effect on future generations. He did not understand that obedience is not episodic. Obedience is a series, not an episode. Obedience is a lived drama that I have to live out for the rest of my life. It's not a moment. And so he gets to the promised land. And he's there for about 45 minutes. And he goes, we're about. There is food in Egypt. Sarah, pack up. We're headed to Egypt. Why are we? Didn't God tell you to come here? Yes, but there's a famine here. So we're going to Egypt. And they get down to Egypt, and the closer he gets to Egypt, the more he realizes that he now has to compound his errors. The first mistake was leaving the place God told him to go. Now he gets down there and realizes that in order to dwell outside of the will of God, he's got to take matters into his own hands in multiple different areas. So he gets down there and starts realizing, Sarah's too beautiful. Somebody's going to kill me and take her. Hey, you got to tell them that you're my sister. Now he's lying. And then they take his wife and give her to Pharaoh. And he's like, thank God they didn't kill me. And God has to intervene and speak to Pharaoh and say, give the man back his wife. Don't you lay a hand on her. And Pharaoh calls him in and said, what did you do to me? And God says, well, you get back to the promised land. And he goes back to the promised land and builds an altar and starts to call on the name of the Lord. Through hardship, that is, there's, there's two kinds of hardship. The kind of hardship that comes from obedience and the kind of hardship that comes from disobedience. You're going to have hardship. And we often flee into the realm of disobedience to avoid the hardship that comes from obedience. Not realizing that the hardship that comes from disobedience is far worse. And he comes back to, to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, realizing that his foray into disobedience in order to avoid the hardship that comes from obedience was fruitless. And so the first thing he does when he gets back is he builds an altar. And he starts calling on the name of the Lord. Lord, I'm not doing that again. Not making that mistake again. Lord, I messed up, but I'm back. Isn't that awesome that you can come back to God and say, God, I stepped out of place, but now I'm stepping back into place. I was once like a sheep gone astray, but now I've returned to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. I'm not doing that again. And guess what? He didn't do that again. Come on, somebody. But that's Abraham. Abraham's the guy that heard God speak and say, get up out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you. Abraham is the guy who heard God call him in the night and say, look up at the stars and count them. And he said, I can't count them. There's too many. And he said, so shall your, your children be. Abraham is the guy that God approached in a, in a, in a, burning, a burning furnace and had him lay the animals out. And God passed between the furnace, passed between the torn animals, crying out his name and making covenant with Abraham. Abraham was the guy that God cut covenant with. 
Abraham was the guy that God spoke to and take, said, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the place I'll show you. That was Abraham, not Isaac. But Isaac had a job too. Isaac had one job. And the job Isaac had was stay in the land I promised to your father. You are to occupy the place of faith that your father occupied because it's not about me as an individual having an episodic individual relationship with God. No, Isaac, you're a link in the chain and you're going to learn to occupy the land that your father occupied. You don't get to go off on your own, Isaac. And Isaac tried. He repeated the same, the same mistake Abraham made, lying and saying his wife was his sister, and God had to get him out of that bind. And in Genesis 26, Isaac finds himself in Beersheba, and there's a famine in the land, and he thinks about leaving, but God speaks to him and says, No, Isaac, you, like your father Abraham, have to learn how to stand in obedience through the famine. Your obedience must be tested by famine because God does not trust obedience that has not yet been tested by a famine. Your faith has to be tested before it comes out of the furnace pure as gold. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're walking through a famine right now, it is the greatest compliment that God could ever give you. If you're walking through a test, God is complimenting you. God is telling you that he is building trust in you. Because people who stand through the famine and still obey God, God trusts those individuals. Come on, somebody. Isaac, you're going to stay here through this famine. You're not going to flee the famine, Isaac. You're not going to run from the famine, Isaac. You're not going to look for a more fruitful place because there's a famine in the place that I called you to stand, Isaac. You're not going to look for a better place because there's a famine in the land. I'm not afraid of the famine, Isaac. I'm able to keep you alive in famine. I'm able to deliver your soul from death, Isaac. Don't you remember I led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years? That was 40 years of famine. But when they were hungry, I rained bread down from heaven to give food to my people. I brought water out of a rock. I'm not scared of a famine, Isaac. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. You are never more firmly in the will of God, never more fully in contact with the power of God than when you have made the decision to stand in a place of obedience in the midst of famine. Come on, somebody. But here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to stand through every famine. There are certain famines that God says, you stay right here. And there are other famines that God says, I'm going to move you out of the way for this famine. Joseph's job was to take them to Israel. So Abraham's job was to go and stay in the land of promise. Isaac's job was to stay in the land given to his father and to have Jacob. Jacob's job was to have 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. The second to the youngest son was named Joseph. His job was to be sold into slavery and eventually bring the family to Egypt. And why was it Joseph's job to bring the family to Egypt? Because a famine was coming that would have wiped them out. 
And so when the famine finally came, Joseph was already positioned in a place of power in Egypt and had built granaries. That is, God had already set a place of provision for the people of God, knowing that a famine was coming that would have wiped them out. God says, I saw it coming a generation ahead of time, and I already sent somebody there. You got to understand that some of your trials are God's way of positioning you to make provision for a generation that is not yet. That all of Joseph's hardship, and remember what Joseph said at the end of his life, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He really meant that. He really meant that. Had I not been sold as a slave, I would not have been able to make provision for you. But the fact that I got sold as a slave, that was God's way of positioning me in a place of influence where I could make provision. Listen, you got to look at your trials differently. Stop looking at your trial as God abandoning you. Come on, there's too many weak-hearted uh, you know, Christians in America. All it takes is somebody to cut you off on the freeway and you believe God's forsaken you. You need to think differently and say, God is setting us up. Come on, say that. God is setting us up. God is setting us up. A famine is nothing more than a divine setup. Joseph's job was to bring them to Egypt. He had to go there first. I thought Egypt was the bad place. Egypt was the place of disobedience. No, Egypt is the place of disobedience when you go there when God hasn't told you to go there. You see, we got to get it out of our minds that some places are good and some places are bad. Inherently. Always. No. The good place is where God tells you to be. The bad place is where God tells you not to be. When God says go to Egypt, Egypt is the good place. And when God says don't go to Egypt, Egypt is the bad place. You see, there are no good or bad places on the earth. The good place is the will of God. The bad place is outside of the will of God. And when you begin to believe that, you'll stop judging the places God puts you in. You'll stop saying things like, this is not a good place. This is not a good place. I'm not in a good place right now. Are you in the will of God? Then you are in the best place right now. There is no better place than the will of God. You simply have to get clarity on what the will of God is. And here's a, this is a, 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 an evaluation technique. Did you choose to put yourself there? Does it look bad? Does it feel bad? But you have no power over it. It happened to you. You're in the will of God. You, you hear what I'm saying? Now, there are, there are bad places where you have power to remove yourself. And sometimes you need to remove yourself from those bad. I'm not saying every bad place is the will of God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like if your husband's beating you, I'm not saying it's the will of God to stay there. Because that's the first thing people think. Oh, so every person whose husband beats him. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about you know God sent you there. And as soon as you get there, it's bad. 
But here's the key. The fact that God has you there now does not mean that you have to be there forever. Because if God sent you there, God can send you out. You hear what I'm saying? Joseph's job was to take them to Egypt, and Moses' job was to bring them out of Egypt. God had a plan to bring them in to provide for them, and he had a plan to take them out to deliver them. The same God who provides is the God who delivers. What if just one of them didn't do their job? Just one. What if Abraham would have said, man, you crazy, God. You tripping. I ain't going to no Canaan. I'm staying right here in my daddy's house. Or what if Isaac would have said, you ain't tying me to no altar. Shoot. I'm talking about binding me up. The Lord will provide the sacrifice. Well, he better provide it, but I know it ain't going to be me. What if Joseph would have drop kicked his brothers? Told his daddy, go check on my brothers. You know they're trying to kill me? Mm-mm. Better send somebody else to go check on them. Oh no, my brother. <laughs> You'll have to get your own. What if he would have got to Egypt and had a bad attitude? Refused to work. What if Moses would have told God to get lost or just decided, I'm not even going to look at that burning bush. The bush is on fire and it's not burning up. I'm staying far away from that. What if one person would have decided not to do their job? What if one person would have moved from their faith, moved from their place? What if one person would have refused to occupy the place that God had called them to? It would have been tragic. How many of us live with that consciousness that if I'm not in my place, it has an impact on every generation to come? That if I'm not in my place, if I don't do my job, if I'm not faithful in my generation, there are generations to come that need me to be in my place, that God has planned to do something in the generations to come, and I have to occupy my place. I've got one job. I've got one job. You need to say that out loud. I've got one job. One job. And my one job is to stay in the will of God. My one job is to stay in the will of God. My one job is to move when he says move. Stay when he says stay. My one job is to constantly look to heaven and say, what are you doing? Where are you going? Where do you need me? My job's not to be an opportunist, an opportunist and look for the best opportunity. No, it's to look for the God opportunity. My job's not to make the most money possible. No, it's to make God money. It's the money that God needs me to make. It's the path that God needs me to take. It's the place that God needs me to be. It's the job that God needs me to work. It's the role that God needs me to play. Every day I just want to know, where do you need me? I got one job. One job. And that job is bigger than me. The Lord spoke to me years ago. He said, son, I will use you beyond your awareness and without your permission. 
beyond your awareness and without your permission. You'll never know what I'm doing. You'll never know how I'm working through your obedience. You just stay obedient. You just keep walking with me. That's what God said to Abraham. He said, I am Yahweh Eloheinu. I am the Lord your God. Walk before me and be blameless. You got one job. One job. You have no clue what God is doing through your life. You have no clue how powerful your obedience is. You have no clue how many people are being blessed by your testimony. You have no clue who's watching you. You have no clue who's listening to you. You have no clue whose life is being impacted by you. You have no clue how God is using you. I'll never forget going to, uh, going to Australia and a young man approached me and he said, I want to talk to you. And we sat down to talk and he didn't say anything. And I, we had to leave and go to the airport. And an hour later, I said, I'm sorry, I've got to go. And he said, wait, I got to tell you something. He said, two years ago, I tried to take my own life and I found myself in the hospital at the end of my life. And he said, I was, dis I was in the deepest place of despair I'd ever been in in my life. And a friend of mine sent me your podcast and I listened to your sermons day and night for three weeks and you preached me back from the place of death. But yet, when I looked back to that time, it was one of the most depressed times of my life. I was, I was deep in a place of depression and despair, feeling like a failure and feeling like God was not using me the way I wanted him to use me. And God wasn't giving me what I wanted him to give me. But all the while, on the other side of the world, God was using my words to bring life to somebody I'd never met before. I had no clue what God was doing through my life. I had no clue. Abraham had no clue that 4,000, 5,000 years later, we'd be talking about him. Isaac had no clue that 5,000 years later, we'd be talking about him. When Moses stood at the burning bush and said, yes, Lord, he had no clue that thousands of years later, we'd still be talking about him. Every one of us needs to have a historical consciousness that you are making history, that your life is history, and your life will either be an example or a warning. But you're making history. Your life is either an example or a warning. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be an example. I want my life to be an example and not a warning. And there are areas of my life that may become a warning, but I want to work on those areas of my life and say, Lord, make turn my warning into an example in those areas. Clean me up. Why? Because I have a historical consciousness. What I'm doing is not just for me. It's not just for my family. It's not just for you. It's not just for what I can see. Your life is bigger than what you can see. It's bigger than what you understand. There are people coming after you, a generation that is not yet, and that generation will praise the Lord because of your testimony because of what God is doing in you you have one job one job and if you stop and think about it in order for you to know the Lord there was a history of faithfulness to God that went back thousands of years probably so that you could know the Lord just think of the person who introduced you to Jesus Somebody introduced them to Jesus and 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 you could trace that back perhaps hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. 
maybe thousands of years. What if one person had broken that chain? You might have never met Jesus. What if one person had broken that link? You might have never met the Lord. Do you realize that there's an intricate history, an intricate lineage, even to your own faith in Jesus Christ, that had a whole history of individuals not been faithful to stand in their place, you would have never even got your chance? I don't care if you're a weak believer or a strong believer, you've got your job. I don't care how much of the Bible you know or don't know, you've got one job. I don't care if you've been to Bible college or never been to Bible college, you got one job. I don't care if you've got an evangelistic gift or you don't have an evangelistic gift, you got one job. I don't care if you know how to prophesy or not. I don't care if you speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues. I don't care if you've never been slain in the spirit. I don't care. I don't care. You got one job. And some folk need somebody who doesn't speak in tongues to, to share the gospel with them. Some folk need somebody who's never fallen out to speak the gospel to them. Some folk need exactly what your testimony is. You don't realize that exactly who you are right now is exactly what somebody needs. You're the only Jesus that they'll ever see. But the scripture says that one generation will declare his works to another. One generation. Will do, you, don't realize, you, you don't realize that your life right now is a generation that is already in the process of declaring his works to another. Yeah, yeah. But you must have that consciousness and live with that consciousness. I got one job. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Come on, somebody. And here's the beautiful thing. This doesn't mean you got to go door-to-door witnessing. Abraham never went door-to-door witnessing. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That was his job. Abraham just left. That was his job. They woke up in the morning and Ur of the Chaldees, where's Abram? He left. That was his witness. He got up out of there. Why? That's what God told him to do. That was his witness. It's not about living under obligation. Believers live under obligation all the time. Wake up in the morning with a heavy burden. Oh, I wish I was more spiritual. Oh, I wish I evangelized more. But I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. Scrap all of that. You don't have to live under all of that religious pressure to be more religious. No, it's simply about daily obedience. Today, as long as it's called today, you just got to wake up today and say, God, where do you need me today? God, I'm here if you need anything today. I just want to live for you today. I just want to serve you today. As long as it's called today, I just want to hear his voice. As long as it's today, I just want to hear his voice. You know what happens? That if you remain faithful to God, as long as it's today, you put all the todays together and you've got a testimony, a life that's a testimony. And sometimes... That life may have an impact on one person that changes the world. When I was about 14 years old, 
I'll never forget it. My older cousin gave me this double-breasted pinstripe suit. And it was sharp. He had just recently grown out of it. He was too big for it. And I put that thing on, and I felt like a million dollars. I wore that thing to church every Sunday. And I remember one Sunday, I was standing out on the patio in front of our church before the service started. There was a member of our congregation, an African-American man, probably in his mid-30s. He worked at our school. He was the head janitor. So we saw him every day. He's out changing garbage cans and sweeping tan bark and, you know, doing all the stuff that, you know, you look at him and say, I hope I never have to do that. That, that you know, that's the way when you're young, you, that, that's how we would think. I actually became his assistant when I got to the ninth grade. I was the assistant janitor for a year. He walked up to me this one Sunday before service started and he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Benjamin, I want to say something to you. And he looked me in my eye and he said, there's greatness all over you. God's going to use you for great things. And I know nobody tells you that here, but everybody can see it. There's greatness all over you. I can't even explain the impact that those words had in my soul that day. So much so that I'm 46 and I was 14 and I remember it today. I even remember what I was wearing. I remember what he was wearing. Do you realize how God used that man in my life that day to do something so deep in me that I never forgot it and I'll never forget it for the rest of my life? And it had nothing to do with his occupation. And it had nothing to do with his education. Just on that day, he decided, I'm going to be obedient. And God put me on his heart that day. A young man that needed to hear from him. Take the limitations in your mind off of what you think God can use you to do. Because you have no clue. There is no limitation to what God can do through you. But the other side of it is, stop trying to do something for God. And just make a decision. All I'm going to do is wake up every morning and just seek to be obedient. That's your one job. I'm just going to listen for your voice. When he calls me, I will answer. And where he leads me, I will follow. And this is the hard one. And what he feeds me, I will swallow. And you can understand that humorously because it is, but there's a reality to that. That God calls the prophet and puts a scroll in his hand and says, eat it. It's going to be sweet to your mouth, but sour in your belly. And so often we want to chew the word, but not swallow it. Because coming to a Sunday morning service and hearing a word and saying, amen, you're chewing it. It's sweet. But going home and making a decision to remain in a place of famine that you would much rather flee, that's sour to the belly. What he feeds me, I'm not just going to chew it. 
I'm going to swallow it. I'm going to digest it. And I'm going to obey. And if you make the decision to do so every day, you're building a testimony. And that testimony is immortal. Just read Hebrews 11. Just read about Enoch. How he walked with God and then he was no more. But while he was on this earth, he had this testimony. He walked with God. And because of that, he being dead still speaks. Your testimony will speak long after you're gone. Amen. Bow your heads and let's pray. Yes, you can give God a, a hand clap of praise. Thank you. Come on back. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your sons and daughters gathered in this place, those who are with us online, even those who will listen to this podcast all over the world in the days to come and even in the years to come. Lord, I have no clue what you're going to do with this message. And that's the beautiful thing, that every time I have the privilege of standing in this place, seeking to deliver to your people the whole counsel of God, I have no clue what you'll do with it. And that's so exciting. It's so exciting because I get to surrender it to you. But Father, I thank you for those who are here. I thank you that you've given so many of us ears to hear and hearts to believe. But I pray at the very least that this word would, would bring encouragement to so many who are standing in the place of famine. Lord, even for this church, I believe this is a timely word because there's a real sense in which our church is experiencing famine. You brought us here to the land of promise. You gave us a building, a property. You blessed us to build it out. We came here expecting revival, outpouring of the Spirit, multitudes coming to Christ. By now, I thought we'd be running four or five services. And when we got here, what did we experience? Famine. Instead, we lost seven members of our staff. Lost some folks, some folks who were mad that we lost seven members of our staff. Instead of increasing, we decreased. To be honest, we had more folks when we were in Emeryville. There was more momentum too. And Lord, I'll be the first to confess that this has not been easy for me. I had such an anticipation that when we get here, the wave is going to come. The people are going to come. And instead, there's famine. But Lord, what I can say with 100% confidence is that your eye has been upon us. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. And Lord, this season has not been easy, but I can say that you've kept us alive, that your eye has been upon us, that you have not forsaken us, that maybe this is a moment in which you've called us to walk through a wilderness, 
But when you walk us through a wilderness, you're walking us to a greater promised land than we can imagine. That this is only the beginning of something. That are, there are great things yet to come. But Father, I pray that you'd put it in our hearts not to flee the famine. And Lord, I pray that there are some even in our congregation, maybe even some in this room right now who are thinking, maybe I should move on. I don't feel what I used to feel here at this church. I don't experience what I used to experience here at this church. Maybe I should move on. God, I know that there are those that you have called to move on. And we speak your blessing over them. But there are those that you've called to stay and to remain. And I speak to those hearts today. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak encouragement to your soul. God's eye is on you. His ear is attentive to your cry. And he's promised to keep you alive in famine and to deliver your soul from death. And Father, I thank you that for those of us whom you have called to remain in this place and walk it out through the famine, that Lord, you have promised to bring us into a land that flows with milk and honey. You've promised to bring us into a place of abundance. There's so many promises over this house that have yet to be fulfilled. But Father, I thank you that you're leading us there. I thank you that you're guiding us there. Father, I pray that you'd put it within us to walk it out. That there are some of us that you're giving a deep conviction. I've got to remain in my place because there's a generation coming after me. And if I leave my place, there's not going to be anything for that generation. There's a generation coming after me. So I got to stand in my place. Father, strengthen your people. Encourage your people today. Bless your people and give them peace today. Let your favor reside upon the hearts of your people today. But Father, I also pray against any confusion in any hearts. Because I know that there are some that you have moved on. I don't want them to hear this message and think that I'm talking bad about them because I'm not. Because those that you have moved, we bless them to go. We don't want anything from anyone except that you be where God would have you to be. That's our desire for each one. Just be where God would have you to be. Stay where he would have you to stay. Go where he would have you to go. If God wants you somewhere else, we don't want you here. It's not good for you. It's not good for us. And if God sends you, we go with you. Our hearts go with you. Our blessing goes with you. But Father, I do thank you for the core that you've called to remain. Lord, I'm reminded of a vision that you gave us years ago. It's coming to pass right now. But Father, I pray that you would be strength for the journey. And God, I know that this word is applied to every soul in a different individuated way. That there are some here today that you know that you're standing in your place on behalf of your whole family. That there's a testimony in your family because of you. Some of you know that you're standing in your place on behalf of your whole workplace or your whole school or institution or neighborhood. That there's a testimony right where you are because of you. Father, I pray strength and encouragement for each and every one. And I give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. We have decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. We worship and adore you. In your name, I bless your people today with peace. And I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his countenance to rise upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Was that word sweet to your taste? Go home and swallow it. It'll be sour to your belly, but hold it down. Walk it out. Live it out. It's going to bear fruit. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. May the joy of the Lord be your strength.